we believe. It's interesting to me that the number one title given to Christians in the New Testament is believers. Of all the application of titles in the New Testament, the number one most used title is believers. We believe. I've been preaching for some 26 years now. And I guess that means I've preached a whole lot of Christmas sermons. I can't imagine how many times I've told the familiar story of the birth of Jesus. But still one thing remains for me personally. A perspective that I have on Christmas that maybe is a little different than normal. One thing that I plan to spend today and these next and five weeks all together dealing with. I'm going to take a break from the preaching through the book of Acts and dedicate five weeks toward this perspective about Christmas. I'm asking you to be here for all five weeks. Now the only I'm going to challenge the church to be here for all five of these because they're sequential and they are important. Now, the only people in the church that can have perfect attendance for all five of these sessions would be starting with you in this room because you're here. You just heard that and you're here today. It is important. But there's one thing that still puzzles the mind today when we talk about this Thing called Christmas. And it is the perspective that I want to focus on for five weeks. The one thing is this, do you know why? Do you know why there is and was a Christmas? Every year around late October, early November, we see things begin to change. I'm not talking about the color of the leaves specifically, but the color of the other scenes begin to change and appear. I was in Sam's Club doing some shopping on 9-11. I remember the particular day. And on September the 11th, they had Christmas trees. Or if maybe you are a card-carrying member of the ACLU, they had holiday trees. They had them out on September the 11th. The season was beginning to change. In September, on the 11th, they already have Christmas trees out for sale. But why? It's a good question when you consider the hubbub of the word Christmas itself. Many schools have outlawed the use of the word Christmas. It's going to be the holiday season. If you say Merry Christmas to some people, they'll huff and puff and be offended. With the hubbub of Christmas and the ACLU and many political correct speech saying, we don't say that word, why would you put Christmas trees out on September 11th unless you just don't call them Christmas trees? Do you know why? Do you know why? Can you know why? there was a Christmas. Can, can we learn anything in the search for the why? Does it matter? Here, here's where I'm going in the series. It's my opinion that many people know the what of Christmas. Many people know the what of Jesus, 
They know the what. They know the facts, the figures. They, they've, they know about this person, Jesus, but they don't know the why. They know the what, but they don't know the why. Does it matter? I propose a thought to you today. To know about something is not to know it. There's a lot of people that know about something, but they don't know the truth about it. Reminds me of a funny story. There's a little girl that asked her mother, she said, Mom, how did the human race begin? Where did we all come from? The mother answered, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And they had children, and they had children, and they had children. All of mankind finds its origin with Adam and Eve. Two days later, the little girl asked her father the same exact question. And he looks at his daughter and says, many years ago there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. The girl was confused, as, as she would be confused. So she goes back to her mother and says, Mom, how is it possible? How is it possible that you told me we came from Adam and Eve and Dad tells me we came from monkeys. The mother says, oh, that's okay, honey. I only told you about our side of the family. <laughs> Many people know the what. They don't know the why. Does it matter? You see, to know about something is not to know the truth of that same something. Many people know about God. Listen carefully. Here's the foundation for five weeks. Many people today, church people, are you listening? Many church people know about God, but they don't know God. They have not experienced Him. Can you see the difference? Many people know about God. They, many people know about Christmas, but they don't know the why. They don't know the, the person. Does it make a difference? If I look across the room today, let me, let me begin with this idea. I know a lot of you by face, which means if I, if I saw you out somewhere, I would recognize that, you know, they go to Nineveh. I don't know your name, but I know you by face. I can't really honestly say that I know you. If I don't even know your name, how can I say that I know you? I just recognize your face. I would not define that, that I know you. But some of you I know by name. We're a little bit closer. We've been around together a little longer. And I know you by name. And I feel like I'm even more connected than knowing your face. But there's some of you that I know. And you know that I know. And you know me. You know why? Because we have experienced each other. We have spent time together getting to know each other. With that background, let me read something to you. In John 17, 3, Chad read it a moment ago. And this is the way to have eternal life. How many of you want eternal life? Raise your hand. Okay. Looks pretty much unanimous. I'm telling you today that God has revealed a way into eternal life. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God. That is not to know about Him. 
That is not to just recognize when somebody's talking about him. No, no, you have to experience him. You hear people talk about well, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you, if you'd be honest today, you don't get that sentence. You don't get it. How can I have a personal relationship with God? By knowing him. Not knowing about him, by knowing him. Is it important? Well, let me start with verse 3 again. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. To know God is to have eternal life. Not to know about Him. To know God is to have eternal life. But you must know Him personally. And to know Him personally, you must experience Him to know Him. And some of you think, I don't even know what that means. Much less have encountered it personally. The search for the why. Five weeks. The search for the why is the search to know Him. Do you know why? Why Christmas? Some will immediately say it's all about money. When I say, do you know why Christmas? Do you know why there's a Christmas? Some of you immediately would say, well, it's all about money. It's about materialism, materialism, materialism. And, and you know what? The world has painted it that way. I'll confess something. Inside my family, I'm known as a little bit of a Scrooge regarding this whole Christmas thing. Uh, my grandkids call me the Grinch. I've even got a Grinch mask up in my office. Because the whole materialism side of Christmas drives me nuts. It does. I love Christmas. I love Christmas for the real meaning of Christmas. The celebration of when God became a man and came and lived among us. I love that part. But I don't much like the other part very much. A very successful young lawyer parked his brand new Lexus in front of his office, ready to show it off to his colleagues. As he got out, a truck passed by too close and completely tore off the door of the driver's side. The lawyer immediately grabbed his cell phone, dialed 911. Within minutes, the police showed up. Before the officer had a chance to ask any questions, the lawyer started screaming hysterically. His Lexus, which he had just picked up that day, is now completely ruined and it'll never be the same. When the lawyer finally wound down from all his ranting and raving, the officer shook his head in disgust and disbelief. I can't believe how materialistic you lawyers are, the policeman said. You're so focused on your possessions that you don't notice anything else. Materialistic. How can you say such a thing? The lawyer replied. The, the policeman replied, Don't you know that your left arm is missing down below the elbow? I must have, it must have been torn off when the truck hit you. The lawyer screamed as he looked down at his missing arm and says, Where's my Apple Watch? Why Christmas? Some of you would say money, and for many of you, maybe it is money. But I tell you, there's something else. There's something more. But why? 
Lights will appear on houses and streets and public squares, but why? Why? They don't get money for doing that. I don't know anybody gets paid for going up on a ladder and risking your life to hang a light on your gutter. So it's not regarding money in that regard. Do you know why? Shepherds will appear in neighborhoods that I'm sure have no sheep. But why? Manger scenes will appear and people will sit out in the cold holding a baby while cars go by and go, ooh, ah. Do you know why? I want this church not only to know about what happened that day, but I want you to know why it happened. The search for the wise, the search for the truth, and the truth is revealed in the Word. The Word then reveals the Son, and the Son reveals the Father, and the Father reveals eternal life. Have you ever noticed that scripture we just read out loud? That scripture says, now this is eternal life to know God and His Son. But how can I know God? By knowing His Son. So how can I know His Son? By knowing the Word. And how can I know the Word? By the Holy Spirit. You have experienced them. It's possible to experience God through the Word. With the help of Dr. David Jeremiah, I read a book of his several years ago called Why Nativity. I was inspired by that book. and With the help of Dr. David Jeremiah, we're going to spend today and five weeks all together looking at 13 questions that will answer the question ultimately, why Christmas? My prayer is that we finish the last question on Sunday morning, December 23rd. You will know why there was and is Christmas on planet Earth. You will have experienced God through the Word. And the Holy Spirit will have revealed Him to you through the Word. You ready? Because this is the beginning. Why prophecies? The question number one of 13 questions we're going to spend five weeks on is this one. Why the prophecies? Do you know why? The Old Testament is the Old Testament because it predates the first Christmas. It's the Old Covenant. It tells you what happened before that first Christmas. And there are prophecy after prophecy inside the Old Testament. Do you know why? Do you know why there's prophecies? Why start with prophecies? This message, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And by the way, 1 Thessalonians is the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in the last days. He knows it's the last days. He just doesn't know how many days there are in the last days. Here's what he says. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. That's the first counsel. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling us. And do not scoff at prophecies. Don't scoff. No, don't read prophecies and say, huh, nobody knows what that means. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. God is the creator and designer of all mankind. He gives amazing gifts to people. 
He gives some people the ability to be engineers and some people the ability to be writers and some people the ability to be singers and some he gives wisdom and some he gives supernatural compassion. He gives the gifts because he is the creator. But he also gives some people the ability to perceive certain shapes and mists into the future. Some people can see things that other people can't see. Just like an engineer can design a bridge, and I don't know how to design a bridge, God gives some people the gift of prophecy. We call these men prophets. God does something to these people that he hasn't just done for everyone. He reveals a glimpse. He reveals a glimpse of the future that he and he alone knows, but he places it inside the mind and the heart of a prophet. And thus they can see farther than the people who stand around them. They can see more clear the future than the people around them. It's a gift. What a blessing, but also what a burden. What a blessing, but also what a burden to know what is coming, to see the future and know it's not a guess, to have this inside information from God Himself. Why? Because here's the question, why prophecies? Why would God do that? Why would God reveal the future to the prophets? And why does it seem that the primary calling of a prophet wasn't just to know it, but to know it and reveal it to those who would listen? I'm convinced that God revealed the future to the prophets because of love. Stay with me. I'm convinced, reading the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit's revelation that God raised up prophets and revealed the future to prophets because of love, and that He would also present an evidence of truth. Evidence of truth. In other words, if a prophet says something's going to happen in advance, and then later that something happens, there is physical evidence of God's involvement. And if you're the prophet, you have experienced God through evidence, not just blind faith. God wants us to know what lies in front of us. Church, listen to me. God wants you to know what's coming. God wants you to know what lies in front of us as an encouragement. As an encouragement so you'll hang on because you know what's coming. And Bible, what, by the way, the Word has revealed to us what's coming. In the Old Testament, the first coming of Christ was on the horizon. The prophets saw it. But in our time, the second coming of Christ is on the horizon. You've seen it in advance if you'd believe it. It gives you encouragement, yes, but here's the second part. It also gives you a sober warning. To some it encourages, to other it warns. In Amos 3.7, in the Old Testament, it says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until. The sovereign Lord... That word sovereign means he, he's not accountable to anybody. The sovereign Lord does nothing until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Why? Why? In both cases, whether it's an encouragement or a sober warning, in both cases, these prophecies tell us that God is in total control. Always and forever in total control. 
You might look at the news and think things are out of control, but I assure you they are not. Some of these prophecies are general in nature, and some of them are quite specific. I tell you today, the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, reveals Christmas. Did you hear me? Some of you know that. Some of you do not know that. And you're kind of surprised that I would say that. I'm telling you, the entire Old Testament reveals the prophecy of that first Christmas, the first coming of Christ. The entire Old Testament reveals a sense of anticipation that began in Genesis, Genesis with the promise that a woman's seed would crush a serpent's head. Now, I don't know how many people understood that in Genesis 3, but it begins with the prophecy that a woman's seed, let's focus on the first part, a woman's seed, don't miss it, a woman's seed is announced in Genesis chapter 3. And it's not just a seed, but that seed's going to do something that'll change forever. It'll crush a serpent's head. A child of a woman. Do you know why? This is Genesis 3. This is in the beginning. Do you know why? Most of the Old Testament is a story of a people, a nation called Israel, that God would use to reveal the coming of Christmas, the coming of the Messiah. A child, listen, a child of a woman, a woman's seed. Genesis 3. The nation of Israel lived under a sense of anticipation. Do you know that? The nation of Israel lived under a sense of anticipation, an expectancy regarding what? Because of the prophecies, they lived with anticipation. They lived with expectancy about a coming Messiah. In fact, the Old Testament has more than 300 specific prophecies. Are you hearing me? The Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, has more than 300 specific prophecies about the promise of the coming of Christmas, the first coming of Christ. Let me give you a few examples. The prophet Isaiah appears on the scene more than 700 years before Christ. More than, how does he know 700 years in advance? Here's what he says. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. 700 years before Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. 700 years before, Isaiah says, you want a sign? Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Micah, another prophet. Why the prophecies? Again, Micah is around 700 years B.C. as well. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Expectancy because of prophecy. Listen, why prophecy? Because prophecy creates expectancy. And expectancy is hope. That something's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but you know what? It's coming because God said so. It's coming. So I'm 
expecting it. Not just the details of the birth, not just the details of the birthplace, but the purpose of the birth, the purpose of his life. Isaiah 53, verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. More than 700 years before, his purpose is revealed. It's our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment of God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Nearly all the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. Are you hearing me? Nearly all the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. David Jeremiah in his book, Why Nativity, or the nativity. He says one mathematician determined the odds of one person fulfilling 60 of those prophecies is one in 157 zeros. Let me, there's a picture of that equation. I want you to see that. Everybody look at this. In his book, Dr. David Jeremiah quotes a mathematician that has calculated the odds, the mathematical odds, that one person could fulfill 60, not 300, which there are, 60 of the prophecies of the Old Testament could be fulfilled by one person. There's the odds of it happening. And that's if he only fulfilled 60 of them. He fulfilled more than 300 of them. Why the prophecies? So that you'll know what's coming. And you'll also get a warning. Why the prophecies? Why did God tell Israel in advance that the Messiah, the Christmas, was coming? Love, encouragement, evidence of the truth. So that people would live with the hope. So they would hold on and not lose hope. Is that you? Pause in the story for a moment right now. I'm watching Christians, I'm watching Christians turn loose of their hope, turn away from the Bible. And the Bible has revealed what's coming. And if you believe what's coming, you'll never let go of this. If you believe what if you believe in God, if you have experienced God, the last thing your fingers will ever let go of will be this. The last thing your heart will ever release will be this. Because you know what's coming. It's been prophesied. So they would know that God has not abandoned them. You know why prophecies? So that you will know in this room today that God has not abandoned us. And he is able to deliver on his covenant promises. Question number one, why the prophecies? 300 in the Old Testament. So that you and I would know in advance that he loved us and he's got a plan to save us and he is not going to abandon you. Number two, second question. Why did God become a man? Oh, this is a good one. Why? Maybe you're not even fully understanding the question itself, much less the answer to the question. You mean God became a man yet? What do you think Christmas is? God became a man. Creation. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know why? Creation. In the beginning, God created Adam, and from Adam, He created Eve. Do you know why? You know how many people, even church people, struggle with this fundamental truth that in the beginning, God created Adam, and from Adam, He took a rib and He created Eve? Little Johnny was in junior church one Sunday. This teacher explained how God took one of Adam's ribs out to create Eve, Adam's wife. Johnny was amazed by the story and couldn't get it off his mind. The next day, Johnny was in P.E. class at school, and he was running, and his side started hurting. The P.E. teacher saw him crying off to the side and asked him, Johnny, what's wrong with you? He says, I think I'm going to have a wife. creation it's all his the stars in the heavens the vast oceans the mountains the atoms the molecules they're all his but he wanted something more church listen to me it's all his but he wanted something more he wanted life more than moving around life like animals and plants now more than that he wanted friendship. This God who creates the universe with his breath, he wanted friendship. He wanted fellowship. Here it comes. He wanted children. Can you wrap your mind around that? He wanted children. He wanted sons and daughters. Even before the creation of the world, you want one of these? Here it comes. Even before the creation of the world, God declared a son. Even before Genesis 1, the Bible is clear, God declared a son. I know it's hard for our mind to comprehend, to grasp, but God separated. The only way I can even possibly attempt, and it is a, an attempt, the only way I can even possibly attempt to describe what happened is before Genesis, somewhere in the eons of eons of time. God separated a part of himself into another person. It is himself, but he separates a part of himself into another person. How do I know that? Where do you get that, Terry? Before Bethlehem, before Genesis chapter 1, before the beginning, he did it. In Hebrews 1, verse 5, it says this, For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now that didn't just happen in Bethlehem at that first Christmas. No, that happened before Genesis chapter 1. God declared a son. Before he made Adam, before he made anything, we know in our world he declared his only begotten. And then comes Genesis. Of all Genesis creation, listen, of all of Genesis creation, only man was made in the image and the likeness of God himself, capable of becoming the children of God. Only man, mankind. Psalms 8, verse 3. When I look at the night sky and I see the works of your fingers, 
the moon, the stars you set in place? What are people that you should think about them? It's a great question. When you look how big he is and how little we are, when I look at the night sky and I see all that your hands have made, what are people? Who am I that you would even think about me? What are people that you should think about them, mere mortals that you should care for them? Yet you made them people. You made them only a little lower than God. And crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of what? Everything you made. What do you think he gave Adam? Dominion over his creation. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. God gives his entire creation to Adam. And there was only one thing out of bounds. All of creation. He creates Adam to be a child of God. And only one thing is out of bounds, a tree. A tree. God gave Adam the freedom to choose, a soul. A soul that could reason, a soul that could decide. A soul that could have its own will, its own purpose. The animals didn't have it, but Adam and Eve did. The, Adam, the animals couldn't wake up and say, I wonder what I'll do today. No, they're going to do what they were programmed to do. But God gave a soul to mankind. The ability to choose and reason and dream and think and decide. And they could decide whether or not they will obey or whether or not they will not obey. They chose to disobey and man fell from his place as a friend of God. Love. That's the only way you can describe what comes next. God declares, reveals his plan to become a man. This is question number two. Why did he do it? Why did God become a man? To pour himself. Why would he pour himself into human skin? Why would he become a second Adam? So that he might restore the love of his family that was lost. Children of God. Lost by the sin of the first Adam would be regained by the love of the last Adam. Do you remember the Christmas prophecy of Isaiah? She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. In the New Testament, it makes it even more clear. Why did God become a man? Do you know why? In the New Testament, it becomes even more clear. You don't have to guess. It's even more clear. Colossians 1.18 Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is, so he is first in everything. Or here it comes, verse 19. For God in all his fullness, God the Father in all his fullness was pleased to live inside of human flesh. Can your mind comprehend it? God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through Christ. Through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Do you know why? Why did God become a man? To reconcile you to himself. Why did God take on human flesh? So that you could once again be called the children of God. 
1 Corinthians 15, 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, his name was Adam. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, his name is Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Why did God become a man? I just read it to you. There's the answer. Everyone born of Adam is going to die and be separated from God. But everyone born again by this last Adam will be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ and be called the children of God. John 1.14. John 1.14. So the Word became human. What became human? The Word. What created in Genesis 1? The Word. What becomes human in John 1? The Word became human and made His home among us. And we've seen His... And He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen His glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. He's not going to give up on you as long as you don't give up on Him. When God placed His holy seed in the womb of Mary, He was saying to each one of us today, I love you too much to let you go. How are you going to respond to that? When God placed His seed inside of the womb of Mary, He said, I personally am coming to save you, to rescue you. God knew something. Man would never be able to reach Him from earth. So instead, He came to earth to reach us. Why did God become a man? He's a whatever-it-takes God. And He's going to do whatever it takes to get you back as His child. So the first two questions have been answered. Why the prophecies? Why did God become a man? Third question. Why Mary? Do you know why? Everybody knows about Mary, but do you know why He picked Mary? If somebody tomorrow, no, 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 last week, tomorrow you'll know the answer. If somebody last week asked you, why Mary? What would you say? What would you say? The little town of Nazareth was remarkably unremarkable. I've been to Nazareth. Nazareth is in the Galilee. It's like being from Bertie. It does not hold a lot of significance. This was not Jerusalem, but a nowhere town that produced what the world called nowhere people. Do you doubt that? Do you, do you doubt that? Listen to what Nathaniel says in John 1.45. Philip, after meeting Jesus, went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. What? From Nazareth. Verse 46. Nazareth? <laughs> Nazareth? exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip answered. Nazareth? Nobody comes from Nazareth and admits it. Why Mary? Why Mary from Nazareth? We don't have much background about Mary. 
You ever thought about it? We don't have a lot of background, not a big biography of Mary's past, except she was a virgin girl from Nazareth that was engaged to be married to a carpenter named Joseph. More than likely, it was an arranged marriage. That was the custom of that day. Legally, you need to understand something, legally under the Jewish law, Mary was already Joseph's wife. By the fact that she was engaged to him, she was betrothed to him. She was already Joseph's wife, even though they could not be together until the appointed time of their actual wedding. Like most young women, like most young women, Mary probably was living in anxious anticipation of her wedding day with her young carpenter, Joseph. Then one day, in the midst of a normal, uneventful day of Nazareth, one day looked like a normal day in Nazareth, her world and our world would forever be changed. Why, Mary? Do you know why? Luke one let Let's look for the why. Because to know the why is to know the one. Why? Verse 28, Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Mary and said, greetings, favored, don't miss the word, favored woman. Why, Mary? Well, there goes your first clue. Favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. There it is again. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? Why? Because I'm from Nazareth? No, no, that's not it. Because I am a virgin. Greetings, favored woman. I kind of put in modern language. The angel says, God says hi. God says hi. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Why Mary? Do you know why? Her life had been noticed by God. Listen, church, do not read through this and read over this. Her life has been noticed by God, her creator. One thing is absolutely and prophetically clear. She had kept herself sexually pure. Don't read over it. God notices such things. You favored woman of Nazareth, you have kept yourself sexually pure. God knows such things. He notices such things. Does this matter today? Does it? Many in the church would say, no, then you don't know him. Then you still don't know him. You know about him. You don't know him. He knows such things. He notices such things. God favors such things. We aren't given much detail of Mary's life, but I can tell you God noticed her heart and announced his response. His response to her heart was this, I am with you, Mary. 
Don't think so much right now about the eternal significance of that moment, but the temporary reality of her moment and her angelic encounter. God is going to make you pregnant, Mary. Have a nice day. Think about that for a second. God is going to make you pregnant. Fear, excitement, wedding plans changed into baby plans. And most of all, how am I going to tell my parents? Maybe even more, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? Who's ever going to believe me? I can tell you, if I were there that day, I'd say, Gabriel, you got to go with me to my parents' house. you you got to go with me to see Joseph. Nobody's going to buy this. Mary was favored by God for a task that would open a way for each one of us to be favored by God. Do you hear me? Mary was favored by God to open a door through which you and I would be favored by God. Gabriel said, the Lord is with you, and as a result, the Lord is with us all. In that moment, God sent the ultimate Christmas gift, not just to Mary, but to all of us. It was Mary who delivered the package, literally. She delivered her package on that first Christmas day. I like to say she delivered it by way of UPS. Unwrapped a perfect Savior. Why Mary? Do you know why? Her life and the purity of that life found the favor of God. God notices such things, yes, even today. Final question for today. Why the song of Mary? Actually, this is my favorite one today. Why the song of Mary? Do you know why? The Gospel of Luke has Mary singing a song after she hears from the angel. Why a song? Imagine for a moment that you've just received the greatest news of your lifetime. Imagine that this great news comes with personal honor that you would never in your wildest dreams would have anticipated, especially being from Nazareth. How would you respond? What would you do? Remember, she was engaged to be married to Joseph, and she must have been anxiously planning her wedding day when Gabriel shows up with a different plan. This angelic message is coming in a time when Israel is under the tyranny of Rome. This hopeful message from God. Listen, church. This hopeful message of God. This is why it's my favorite part today. Don't miss it. This hopeful message of God, delivered by the angel Gabriel, is coming at a time when the Jews would have possibly been giving up their hope that the Messiah was ever going to come. See, they'd read all the prophecies, and they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And now, listen, listen, she knows. She's perhaps the only one around that knows, but she knows what the Messiah's coming. Everything God said he's going to do since Genesis 3, and that woman's seed's going to crush a serpent's head, she knows. He's coming. In that generation, He's coming. She knows. Do you know how big this is? Do you know how big it is to know? To, I, I know specifically. She doesn't know about the prophecies. She knows the prophecies. He's coming. 
You'll be here within nine months. He's coming. This message from the angel comes after 400 years of prophetic silence from God. 400 years since the book of Malachi, since the writing of the prophet Malachi. 400 years, there's no writings that were recorded that we know of. 400 years of biblical silence, and now she knows. What would you do? After all these years of hoping, and now you know, what would you do? Would you sing a song? Verse 38, Luke chapter 1. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Mary just sang her life song. What, is, what, what do you mean she just sang her life song? She, I, I read that one verse and say, Mary has sang her life song. What is her life song? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have determined. May everything you just said through the angel Gabriel come true. I know you. She sang her life song. By the way, we've all got a life song. You've been singing yours, and I've been singing mine. We all got a life song. Whether you know it or not, you're singing a song. Your life is given a testimony about something. I wonder if it sounds like hers. I wonder if your life song, my life song, sounds like her life song. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you, my Lord and Master, have decided in advance. Mary then has her encounter with her cousin Elizabeth. This gets even better. She has her encounter with her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant by the power of God. She's pregnant with the forerunner of the Messiah, the announcer of the first Christmas, I like to call him. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. Listen to that encounter and the song of Mary that follows. Pregnant Mary goes to pregnant Elizabeth, and this happens, Luke 1.42. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I, Elizabeth, so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Listen, they know. Both of them know. They know what? The Messiah is here. He's in your womb. They know. It's not about when's he going to come. He's here. And they know. When I heard your greeting, Elizabeth says to Mary, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You're blessed, Mary, because you're a believer. You believe the Lord to do what he said. And then Mary responded. Here's what's commonly referred to as Mary's song. Listen to her words. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. 
His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For He has made... For he made the promises to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She knows. She has experienced God. Remember I said when I started today, to know about is not to know. She knows. She has encountered God. Actually, Elizabeth knows. They both know. They know why. They know the why. They don't know the what. They went past the what and got to the why. And they actually know Him. They've encountered here. He, he's my Lord. He's mine. Not to know about Him, but to know Him is eternal life. It makes you want to sing a song. Do you know why? She gets it. She knows. This isn't just about a baby or a simple holiday. This is a holy day. God has come to the earth. God has not abandoned His people Israel. He has come to fulfill His promises. A baby can do all that? A baby? Yes, a baby. Mary's song was also a prophetic announcement of the fulfillment of God's promise. Did you catch the ending? Did you catch the ending to Abraham and his children forever. Mary made a prophetic announcement at the end of her song. Why? Because she knows. What if you're not Jewish? What? The prophetic announcement said to Abraham and his children forever. But what if you're not Jewish? I got some good news. It's found in a prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 6. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will, make a light, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. Somebody say hallelujah. I will, you will do more than restore Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Even to Birdie in Anderson County. Can you see the light today? Do you know why? A baby can do all this? Yes, when he is God's son. So let me wrap it up. Why the prophecies? Do you know why? So that you would know that God loves you with an everlasting love and he is faithful to ever. So that you will live, so that you will live right now in this generation with expectancy and hope because you know what's coming. That's why he told us in advance what he's going to do. And nothing's going to stop him. Because of these prophecies, you and I today have something that the world of unbelievers do not have. We have hope. We have the truth. We have love. We have encouragement. We have the evidence of the truth. But we also have a warning. Do not scoff at these prophecies, church. Number two, why did God become a man? Do you know why? To pay the price for our sins so that everything lost by the first Adam would be fully restored by the last Adam. We can be called, listen, you know how big this is? We can be called the children of God. You can be called a child of God. 
Number three, why Mary? Do you know why? God noticed her purity of heart, and he noticed her purity of body. And he favored her with the greatest gift ever given to mankind, himself. Mary was going to deliver the deliverer. Finally, number four, why the song of Mary? Do you know why? To proclaim the fulfillment of the promise of God to those who will wait for him. She knew. Do you? I'm looking around the room today, and I'm going to ask you, do you know? I didn't ask you, do you know about God? I didn't ask you, do you know about Jesus? I didn't ask you, do you know about Christmas? Do you know him? Do you? I do. I don't say that in some arrogance. I say that in great humility. As one from my own Nazareth. I know who he is. I have encountered him. He is real. And he satisfies the thirst of a thirsty soul. Do you know him? Can a baby do all that? When he is the son of God. I don't want you to know, Nineveh Church, I don't want you to know about Christmas. You know why? Because the lost world knows about Christmas. I want you to know why Christmas. Do you know why? <laughs> so that you'll experience God through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary knew why. Her cousin Elizabeth knew why. Do you know why? What's the difference between knowing about and knowing why? One last time, I want to read what we started with today, John 17, 3. Now I'll ask Chad to come out. And this is the way to have eternal life. Jesus says these words in the Gospel of John. And this is the way to have eternal life. You want eternal life? Every one of you raised your hand a little while ago. Do you want eternal life? This is the way to know you. That word is not to know about you. It's not there. To know you, to have experienced you, to have encountered you, to have a personal knowledge of who you are and be known by Him. Is that you? It begins by faith, by believing that He is exactly who He says He is. He is the one true God. He is God with us. If you have not claimed Him as your Savior, your Lord, your Savior today, would be a great time to do that. If you have, today would be a great time to celebrate him. Let's stand. The invitation's open. Speaks with thunder and fire. 